Selma, 50 years, marching Alabama Was just in Columbus, Ohio, teaching little kids South by Southwest and Austin, teaching sampling hey! At gynecologists, I do a lot of interviews And I'm making some nice figures like a gym dude And like Sandra Bland Welcome to the Michael M. Hotep Show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network where now is power. Today is Tuesday, February 7th, 2017, and we are live today, 7th day of February into African American History Month, formerly known as Black History Month. It was changed years ago. doesn't have anything to do with Donald Trump. How's everybody doing today? We're broadcasting on Facebook Live. Our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network. How's everybody doing? Uh, didn't broadcast live yesterday. Had a lot going on. Wasn't able to get back home uh, in time. Wasn't, wasn't able to get back to the studio in time, I should say. So on today's show, we're going to deal with the topics we missed yesterday. And we're going to talk about Betsy DeVos also because I've been warning people about Betsy DeVos. Uh, she was confirmed today unprecedented tiebreaker by uh, Vice President uh, uh, Mike Pence. And this is why I have stressed to people, I've told people numerous times, elections have consequences, elections have consequences, and you have to study the um, uh, policies that the candidates are pushing, okay? And you have to vote in the midterm elections also. I, I've stressed this numerous times to people. You have to vote in the midterm elections as well. Okay. All right. So we'll talk about Betsy DeVos. Uh, uh, we'll talk about Betsy DeVos some today. Uh, we'll also deal with um, uh, some topics that uh, I was going to cover yesterday. Okay. So the uh, appeals court rejected the request from the Trump administration to immediately reinstate President Donald Trump's uh, travel ban. Uh, we know that there's going to be a, um, a conference call, a hearing uh, today, 6 p.m., to hear arguments from both sides. And then the judges will decide whether or not to uh, reinstate the travel ban. Uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com had an article, Six Facts That Show White-on-White uh, -on -white Crime Is as it is an ignored epidemic in America. Six facts that show white on white crime is an ignored epidemic in America. Okay, we'll talk about that. Then we know that the National Association of Black Journalists uh, is uh, scheduled to, uh, to meet with NBC behind uh, Tamron Hall leaving NBC and MSNBC. I wrote an article about this. We talked about this Friday on the show. I wrote an article. The article is at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, dealing with uh, Tamron Hall leaving. It's called Tamron Hall wasn't fired uh, by NBC, MSNBC. She quit. Uh, NABJ calls this uh, a whitewashing, Okay. That's available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Click on the link. Read articles by Michael M. Hotel. We also have it here on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. We have it there as well. Okay, so we'll talk about that some uh, uh, a little bit as well. Then um, we know that um, this past. Yeah, well, we know last Friday, last Wednesday, February 1st, Donald Trump met with uh, some African-American Republican leaders to kick off African-American History Month. Right. Well, this past um, 
Saturday on AM Joy. She did a segment dealing with Donald Trump's African-American agenda. Donald Trump's African-American agenda. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about that on today's show as well. And the rest of the stuff we'll get to tomorrow. Okay. All right. Now, uh, on the Michael M. Hotep show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct your own behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you have been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Now, we deal with a number of different topics here on the show. We deal with current events and history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Uh, sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com as well to sign up for the email newsletter there also, okay? Um, follow us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TuneIn.com, and Periscope at Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TuneIn.com, and Periscope at Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, Okay. All right, now, um, okay, so uh, we're posting the information for today's show, okay, posting the information for today's show on the thread for the Facebook Live uh, broadcast, all right, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about this article also. We're going to deal with Betsy DeVos first. I've been warning people about her, uh, her and her husband have wrecked havoc havoc on public education here in Detroit um, so you have uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with her and they think oh everything's going to be fine etc no no this is an ignorant ass woman who knows nothing about education okay she just happens to be a billionaire and has uh, donated uh, millions of dollars to Republican causes including Donald Trump's campaign this is this is what you have here, okay? All right. So we're we're posting the information. Um, we're posting the information here on uh, on the thread. So just give me a minute here. Um, and we're going to deal with also six uh, facts that show um, uh, white on white crime is an ignored epidemic. Now I want to let you know coming up uh, this Saturday. We have two things going on this weekend, okay, for African American History Month, all right? Um, first of all, this Saturday, uh, I'm doing a presentation at the Jungle Juice Bar, 14929 Charlevoix Street in Gross Point Park, Michigan, okay? And we're dealing with great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. Great African women in history, the mothers of civilization, okay? Um, and this is uh, taking place this Saturday, 
3 p.m. to 7 p.m. It's a free event, donations accepted, the Jungle Juice Bar, okay? We'll have the information available. We'll have it at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We'll have that up uh, today, okay? Probably during the show. I'll get that posted, all right? Number one. Um, number two, I'm doing another webinar this coming Sunday in conjunction with the blackhistoryschool.com and in conjunction with uh, blackden.com. So thanks to everybody who registered for the webinar I did this past uh, Saturday. Uh, this past Saturday we dealt with uh, Shit African Americans Celebrate Black History Month Exposing the Myths, okay? And um, that we, we had 255 people in total who registered for that webinar, all right? Um, if you visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you can watch the webinar. Uh, it's recorded. You can watch it. And um, also, you can donate to the African History Network if you like as well to help support us. Click on the yellow Donate button right on the homepage of our website. You can order the full DVD presentation, which is four and a half hours. It's the actual lecture I did a few years ago dealing with that topic. Uh, we just I, I, we did an overview for the webinar, okay? So, uh, and thanks to Monica and Shantae from uh, BlackDen.com and um, uh, the, Bl the BlackHistorySchool.com who helped uh, facilitate that, okay? So this Sunday, uh, February 12th, this Sunday, February 12th, we're doing another webinar, okay? This Sunday. So this Sunday, we're dealing with... Um, uh, great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Okay, we're doing a webinar. We should have that information this evening. Okay, um, uh, we should have that information this evening uh, for that webinar also. Okay, that webinar is going to be $9.99. Okay, $10. State That's a donation of $10, statement of support, and that helps us to keep doing what we're doing and uh we're 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 revenue sharing with uh the black history school and uh, the african history network okay but that helps us out a lot so we should have the information for the um a webinar we should have that at our website africanhistorynetwork.com this evening for you to sign up for that you don't want to miss uh the presentation you don't want to you don't want to miss the webinar on great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. Because what we'll deal with, we'll deal with showcasing and do a profiles of African women throughout our history. Some wore natural hair, some had no hair, some had weaves, some had palms. Okay, but we, we'll deal with Dink Nesh, 3.2 million years old. Uh, Europeans called her Lucy. She was Australopithecus afarensis. We'll deal with Osset, uh, who the Greeks call Isis. Uh, we'll deal with, uh, you know, part of the first holy trinity of Asar, Osset, and Heru. We'll deal with Ma'at, the personification of truth, justice, righteousness, balance, harmony, order, reciprocity. Uh, we'll deal with um, uh, women like uh, Harriet Tubman and Ida B. Wells and, and Angela Davis. We'll talk about... Uh, uh, Andromeda and Cassiopeia, who were two African women who were um, um, 
putting two Greek mythology and two constellations are named after them, Andromeda and Cassiopeia, and there's mythology surrounding them. We'll talk about Katherine Johnson, who is one of the central figures that the, that the movie and the book Hidden Figures is about, who was a, a mathematician for NASA. We'll talk about Valerie Thomas and, and uh, 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 you know, a lot of, lot of women in our, in, in our uh, history. We'll talk about uh, Kalala Lukumi, who led a... Um, uh, a slave revolt in Cuba. Uh, so we'll talk about African women different at the, in different times in our history, different aspects, whether they were queens, whether they were uh, warrior queens, or you would talk about um, uh, uh, Queen Nzinga of Angola and Yasantiwa. All right. So we, so you don't want to miss this. I'm doing the, I'm doing the physical lecture on Saturday, February 11th at the Jungle Juice Bar. Located at 14929 Charlevoix Street in Gross Point Park, Michigan. We're doing a physical lecture there. And then we're doing a, um, um, a webinar on Sunday so everybody around the world can participate in the webinar. You can ask questions, etc. Okay? Uh, if you missed the first webinar we did this past Saturday, once again, it's available at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Just click on the link, and it just asks you to register. It's free. just asks you for your name and email address, I think, something like that. And then you can watch the full two-hour webinar there, okay? Um, and we'll have the information uh, posted today to sign up for it, for, for, sign up for the webinar on uh, Sunday. Okay, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, if you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me today at info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, especially if you want me to do it this month, all right? And we'll work out the details. Okay, so today... Betsy DeVos, who's one of the worst picks for education, Secretary of Education. Betsy DeVos was um, confirmed in the narrowest of margins, in the narrowest of margins, okay? This is an example of why um, elections have consequences, as I have explained to people. And those watching, you know, I've been talking about this. Elections have consequences, all right? So... It was a 50-50 um, deadlock vote. You have um, in the in the U.S. Senate, you have 51 or 52, because I think Louisiana was the last seat field. So you have, um, yeah, you have 52 Republicans. You have 46 Democrats. You have two independents. The two independents usually vote along with the Democrats, okay? So they were able, Republicans were able to get two, Democrats were able to get two Republicans over to their side to vote against uh, Betsy DeVos, okay? And it was a 50-50 tie, okay? In the case of a 50-50 tie in the U.S. Senate, who gets the deciding vote? This is a civics lesson. This is a this is this is an example of how elections have consequences. The vice president, the vice president gets the tie breaking vote 
in the case of a tie in the U.S. Senate. Who did Mike Pence vote for? He voted for uh, Donald Trump's nominee for Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. And this is why there has to be a big turnout come November 6, 2018 for midterm elections. Okay. Now, I would encourage people to do some research on Betsy DeVos because most people across the country don't know who this woman is. In Detroit and Michigan, we know who Betsy DeVos is because Betsy DeVos and her husband, Dick DeVos, live in Michigan and they've raged havoc and raged war against public, public education for years here, especially in Detroit. So we're very familiar with her. We're very familiar with Betsy DeVos. Okay. So. Um, the vote to, to confirm Betsy DeVos came after Senate Democrats staged an all-night Senate talkathon Monday evening. And this was almost unprecedented as well because this was live streamed. It was live streamed on Facebook. We posted it here, thehill.com, live streaming. We posted it on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network. We were encouraging people to call the Congressional Switchboard. And keep calling the Congressional Switchboard for some of these other nominations as well, okay? Especially... Uh, Jefferson Borgard Sessions III as Attorney General, okay, especially especially uh, for that joker, all right? Now, the number to the congressional switchboard, because I called last night and left a message for my senator, uh, my U.S. Senator, uh, Gary Peters, 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121 is the number for the congressional switchboard. It can get you any member of the U.S. Senate and any member of the U.S. House of Representatives, okay, the Congressional Switchboard. You can just punch in, uh, you just enter in your um, your zip code, okay, that's the Congressional Switchboard, all right, and you can ask to talk to them live or talk to a representative in their office or leave them a message, okay, that's the Congressional Switchboard, uh, 202-224-3121, 202-224-3121. Two two four three one two one, and there had been an unprecedented amount of calls that all these U.S. senators had been getting, some more than others, but an unprecedented amount of phone calls and emails and things like this. People had been getting about Bet Betsy DeVos. All right, now hold on just a second. I'm getting a news alert from Washington Post, so let me see what this is about. Um. Okay, Washington Post is reporting breaking news. Trump administration will approve final permit for Dakota Access Pipeline, allowing the disputed project to be completed. The Army, as early as Wednesday, will allow the 1,200-mile, $3.8 billion Dakota Access oil pipeline to cross under a Missouri River reservoir in North Dakota, according to Justice Department documents. President Donald Trump, hashtag not my president, hashtag Manchurian candidate, um, had instructed Army Corps of Engineer engineers officials who withheld the final permit needed to complete the pipeline project in December, citing the need for a more extensive environmental review to expedite its review. Uh, you can read, uh, they have more at uh, WashingtonPost.com about this, that news story just broke 
Uh, they have more at WashingtonPost.com about that. Okay. Now, I wonder now, Donald Trump owned stock in the parent company of that was going to uh, uh, lay the pipeline through the Dakota pipeline. I wonder if he divested from that company. I wonder, I wonder if he ever divested from that company. I heard, I heard from a spokesperson he did months ago. We, we haven't seen any proof that he did. Where, where's, where's the proof? Now back to Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos now becomes the sixth cabinet appointment of President Donald Trump to be confirmed. Okay, now I heard today seven. She's either six or seven. Now at this at this same time in President. Barack Obama's first term, he had 23 people confirmed. They have six or seven. I think it's seven confirmed. Interesting. They are to these are not ready for primetime players. Totally unprepared. Totally unprepared. Not ready for primetime players. Now, Mike Pence was needed to break the 50-50 tie after two Republicans, Susan uh, Senator Susan Collins of Maine and uh, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, uh, announced their opposition to uh, Betsy DeVos uh, last week. The rural state Republicans, rural, R-U-R-A-L, the rural state Republicans said that Betsy DeVos lacked the experience to understand the challenges facing public schools, and they are correct. They are correct. Democrats' unified opposition to Betsy DeVos came after a nomination hearing where she, where she failed to demonstrate a deep understanding of education philosophy. She doesn't, th she's an idiot. The only reason why she was nominated is because she's donated millions of dollars to Donald Trump's campaign. She, she has his same views. They want to destroy public education. And she's a wealthy white woman. That's why. She's told, she's totally unqualified totally unqualified to be secretary of education okay now um an exasperated uh senator alan franken democrat from minnesota recalled on the senate floor just before 10 p.m monday night his exchange with betsy devos during the hearing last month where he asked if she was uh partial to an educational philosophy where children are measured on growth within the academic year or on proficiency. Okay, growth or proficiency. And this is um, this is a ongoing debate from my understanding in the education circles, right? This is something that's well known. Senator Alan Franken said she had no idea what I was talking about. Quote, I can't overstate how central this issue is to education, end quote. Now, we're going to try to get this, uh, let me see something here. We have a clip here of this fool. Um, let me see here. We may not have that. Uh, we may not have that. We may not have that clip. Maybe tomorrow we'll get that clip for you. Um, let me see here. Okay. They talked about it. Um, they talked about it today on, um, 
uh, MSNBC. Let's go to this clip here. Just a second. Let's go to this clip. Waiting for the final roll call, of course, as the, the final votes come in. But, Rahima, what's at stake here in terms of education policy and the issues that you've been covering? Well, that's what a lot of parents are wondering, exactly what is at stake and whether or not federal dollars that go to assist the states and local areas for their education programs are some of those federal dollars at stake. We should make it very clear that the majority of funding for traditional public schools comes from state houses and local governments. The, the uh, federal government only contributes about 10% of that overall budget of about $600 billion. But people are concerned about the impact that the federal government can have on local schools. I've talked to parents all over the country and we specifically went to Michigan to talk with some parents there because that is the home state of Betsy DeVos where she has been a tireless advocate for school choice pushing for charters and for vouchers. We met parents there who were delighted about the prospect that there could be more opportunities for choice because that's what they wanted. They wanted an opportunity to escape from what they saw as failing schools. But and we also Rahima, let me just uh... Let me just interrupt. It is 50-50. So now uh, with the final <coughs> vote by Republican Steve Daines of Montana, it's now 50 against 50 in favor. I'm about to hear uh, the vice president obviously stepping in and breaking that tie. I interrupted you. You were talking about some of the parents you spoke to in Michigan on both sides of this issue. Certainly some are very much in favor of the opportunity or the possibility that there might be an opportunity for more choice. Others are concerned that in creating more choice, having some children leave the traditional public school system, it means that some very precious dollars would be going with them. And they're concerned about what happens then to their neighborhood traditional school. Everyone seems to agree that America's public schools need some help. When you look at what the nation's report card is, it says that only about a third of our eighth graders are proficient in reading and math. That means the country has a lot of work to do. So they're trying to figure out how do you reform the system. Some say get in the system and reform it that way. Others are Rahima, looking for let's choice go to the, Let's go to the podium. It's confirmed. Thank you. Majority Leader. I move to reconsider the vote on the nomination. Question is on the motion to reconsider. I move to table the motion to reconsider. Question is on the motion to table. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed? The ayes appear to have it. <laughs> the ayes do have it. And the motion to table is agreed to. I ask unanimous consent the mandatory quorum call be waived. Without objection. The vice president leaves the podium. You see the confirmation 51 to 50. Uh, Betsy DeVos is confirmed, and that was a moment of history. The first time the vice president has actually used his vote to break a tie on the confirmation of a cabinet secretary. The first time in American history. Joining me now is. Okay, so that was uh, today, uh, MSNBC. Uh, I, I want to go to this other clip here because last night, see, this is this is a re, this is one of the reasons why people I, I, I explained to people for months. People were caught up in personalities in this past election. 
and they were saying, oh, I don't like Trump. I like Hillary Clinton. I don't like Hillary Clinton. I don't like Trump. I want to vote, vote Jill Stein, who didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of winning. I want to vote Gary Johnson. I want to sit at home and smoke weed, whatever it is. You, you have to understand there are 4,000 people that the president has to hire for their administrator. 4,000 positions they have to fill. And you have to understand the wide-ranging impact that these decisions have. And I told people, go to their respective websites and read their policies. Go to DonaldJTrump.com, read his 13, 14 policies he had at the time during the election. Go to HillaryClinton.com, read her 36-plus policies. Because there were distinct differences in their policies. Okay? This is an example, this is an example of this. All right, now... Yesterday, uh, um, let me see here, just a second here. Yesterday, um, Randy Weingarten, Weingarten, who's the president of the American Federation of Teachers, spoke with Greta Van Sersten on uh, MSNBC to talk about uh, Betsy DeVos and why Betsy DeVos would be bad for as Secretary of Education. Because Betsy DeVos has no experience dealing with public schools. The Secretary of Education, you're dealing with all the education in the country. You're not just dealing with charter schools. You're dealing with special education. You have to have understanding of special education law and federal law. You're dealing with colleges. You're dealing with college debt, college loan, Pell Grants, all these types of things. You're dealing with for-profit colleges, non-profit colleges, all of this, Secretary of Education. Once again, these are not ready for primetime players. Let's go to this clip. The nominee for Secretary of Education doesn't know some of the most basic facts about education policy. This nomination is dead even right now. We need just one more Republican to join us. This is deeply personal. It's personal for me. My first job out of college was as a teacher. Live pictures of the Senate floor Democrats tonight making a desperate plea for one more Republican vote against Betsy DeVos as Education Secretary. That's all they need to sink Trump's cabinet pick. Otherwise, we could be headed to a 50-50 tie with Vice President Pence casting the deciding vote tomorrow. Randy Weingarten is president of the American Federation of Teachers, and late today she took part in a protest against the nominee held outside the, court, the Capitol. Nice to see you. It's great to see you. Okay, why don't you want Betsy DeVos? Um, for several reasons, but number one, it's she she's not just disconnected from public education. It's not just that she's ill-informed. It's that all the work that she's done as a lobbyist, and she's done a lot of work in and around education, has been actively hostile to the schools that 90% of kids go to right now. All right. I, I looked at. I went back and looked at the charter creating the law creating um, the Department of Education. I'd forgotten, and it said that you know that said the Department of Education was was basically to facilitate education in public, private. I mean, it's quite a broad definition. Um, is she is she opposed to uh, helping private schools, or is she I mean, opposed to helping public schools? Is that your thought? Is at the expense of private or charter? So what we've seen from. Um, Michigan and from Florida is that she has been actively defunding public schools. So look, there's lots of people that like charters. I run one in New York City. 
It has a 100% graduation rate. But you can't be the head of public education. You can't be the head of education and actively hate the schools that 90% of kids go I, to. I, and that's part of the reason why there has been this grassroots um, uprising from rural, suburban, and urban schools. I suspect if she were here, she would say she shouldn't hate public school, that that's just her opponents are saying. But the one thing that is indeed a sort of, you know, what is on, we see here in the District of Columbia is we have public schools here. And if you are a politician or a doctor or a lawyer or even the President of the United States, the last thing you do is send your kids to a public school. So there's a unless, unless you live in Northwest, where people go to deal all the time and where well, people use that, use the public school system. But, but, would, you, right. but would you admit that most, mm -hmm. most people of me in this city, there's, they're so troubled by, this, in general, the public schools that they send it to Sidwell or to uh, Holton Arms or all these other schools? Actually, I would say that it's about half and half now. There are lots of people of means in this city that send their kids to private schools. But at the end of the day, if you live in the Northwest in this city, you the send rich your section. kids. The which rich is, section. Which, but my point is this. The schools in the United States of America track socioeconomic um, issues. The schools in suburban America, where you have parents that have means, tend to be better than the schools in places where you don't. And what we have to do in public education is we have to switch that, meaning we have to give more resources to the kids who need it most. All right, one quick question before I go. Uh, which Republican are you, if you're going to get another Republican, which Republican are you likely to get between now and tomorrow's vote? Well, look, 85 Republicans, 85 senators passed the passed the Ed Law last time, there are at least 15 of them who, who are Republicans. See, I'm not going to get a name. I'm not going to get a name. Exactly. I won't get a name. All right, well, I didn't get a name. At least I tried. Anyway, nice to see you, Randy. You too. Okay, so that was yesterday evening. MSNBC. American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten. Weingarten. Laying out the case against Betsy DeVos. She's correct. Because we've been dealing with Betsy, Betsy DeVos for years here in Michigan. So we knew about her and her husband before anybody else. And she's totally, totally unqualified to be Secretary of Education. Okay. Uh, at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, we have the information for the lecture I'm doing Saturday, February 11th, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Jungle Juice Bar. The flyer's there. Information's there. We'll get the uh, information about the webinar I'm doing on Sunday. We'll get that um, up there probably this evening, okay? All right, so um, let's see here. Uh, let's get some of your questions in here um, on Facebook, okay? So on Facebook, let me scroll back and look at some of these. Some of these may be a little old, uh, about 20 minutes ago. So let's scroll back. And acknowledge people who are here. Okay, so share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. All right, and I have to post this on some other pages also. Let me do this. Let me go to this clip right quick. I have to post this on some other pages as well. Okay. Hotel family, this is Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. On 910 AM, the Superstation. Hey, we just finished my February 5th, 2017 show. I also host the Michael M. Hotep show on the Empowerment Radio Network, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
I want to let you know uh, about the latest installment in the African History Network lecture series for February. It's taking place Saturday, February 11th. Uh, 2017, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Jungle Juice Bar, located at 14929 Charlevoix Street in Gross Point Park, Michigan. Uh, Gross Point Park, Michigan, right across the street from Detroit. I'm dealing with great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. Great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. So we'll talk about some great African women in our history from all different periods, whether we talk about Dink Nesh or Lucy, 3.2 million years ago, whether we talk about Osset, who the Greeks called Isis, um, and when we deal with the first holy trinity of Osar, Osset, and Heru, we'll talk about Ma'at, the personification of truth, justice, righteousness, balance, harmony, order, and reciprocity. We'll talk about women like Queen Nzinga of Angola. Uh, we'll talk about um, uh, Angela Davis, uh, Catherine Johnson, who uh, the film uh, Hidden Figure and the book Hidden Figures is about uh, a number of different women throughout our history. Some had natural hairstyles, some wore weaves, some wore perms, some didn't have any hair. Okay, so we're going to deal with this. This is coming up uh, Saturday, February 11th, 2017, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Jungle Juice Bar, 14929 Charlevoix Street, Gross Point Park, Michigan. Uh, free event, donations accepted. We have information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can also um, uh, give us a call, 313-462-0003, 313-462-0003. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me at info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And all of my DVD lectures, all 30 of my DVD lectures are at our website. You can order those. You can read all the articles I've written at our website as well. We have over 700 podcasted episodes of our of our radio shows over the last seven years um, as well, and a recommended reading list of books also at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. So remember, uh, and I also want to let you know I'm doing a webinar the next day, Sunday, February 12th, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. We're doing a webinar dealing with great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. We'll have information about the webinar at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, I'm doing that in conjunction with the Black History School and BlackDen.com, okay? So we'll have all that information at our website uh, also. Hey, remember, um, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. Right now, let's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Okay. So, we have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, about my presentation. And um, at the Jungle Juice Bar on Saturday, February 11th, Sunday, February 12th, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., I'm doing a webinar. Uh, we'll have information about that as well so people from around the world can tune in to the webinar. And then I also want to remind you that coming up, uh, you know, last week we talked about Dave Anderson and the Parliament Radio Network and the uh, economic empowerment uh, conference call we do on Wednesday nights and we talked about uh, tax lien certificates we talked about uh, uh, real estate business development and as and also foreign currency exchange uh, we have another conference call tomorrow uh, tomorrow night Wednesday 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. if you want information about that conference call email me info at africanhistorynetwork.com info info at africanhistorynetwork.com if you want information about that conference call um, and uh, it's going to totally blow you away the information that we uh, that we deal with okay all right so uh, and we'll post um, 
I'm going to post information here on the thread of the broadcast uh, about that as well. Okay, so we just posted that about the Wednesday economic empowerment call with Dave Anderson and myself. Okay. All right, so on Facebook, uh, let's see, Nicole Harrell, uh, how you doing? We have LaShawn Hall said, Samantha, it's February here in the U.S. I'm black too, but I'm also a teacher. And I know one thing across the board, black history is not taught. So if I have a month and I have free reign to teach uh, my students, uh, then you're going to do that. All right, good. And we have to push. Um, um, and, and we have to push to um, have it taught year round in the schools. The parents have to go to those schools and say we want this taught year round the parents have to go to those schools and say we want this taught year round okay um LaShawn Hall said we need to fight for all history because the Spanish Native Americans etc are in the same boat well they can fight their own battle they, the Spanish the Hispanics and Native Americans they can fight their own battle we, we need to fight ours See we see if 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 they want to form a coalition, then that's fine. But first and foremost, you got to fight to get your history taught. Because I got news for you: Hispanics know their history. Native Americans know their history. Our children don't. So before we before we go fighting other people's battles, we first need to fight ours. You know, Malcolm X said, "Here you are out in the middle of the ocean, can't swim, and you worried about somebody sitting in the bathtub who can't swim." So first and foremost, we have to fight our own battles. Self-preservation is the first law of nature. Okay. Now, if they want to form a coalition to go in and say we want all this included, that's that's that that's fine. But even when you have those coalitions, you still have to have your own agenda. But first and foremost, we got to fight to to get that to get that incorporated into the curriculum, our history, not not starting from sixteen nineteen to eighteen sixty five. Going back tens of thousands of years of African people in this land we call the United States of America. Okay? And then understanding the history of African people on the continent of Africa as well. All right, now. Um, Miriam, Miriam Riley said we must elect Democratic congressmen and women as well as Democratic state senators in order to restore order and decency in American politics. Now, when we do that, we have to make sure we elect the right people to office and then you still have to hold them accountable as well. You still have to hold them accountable. You still have to call their offices, send them emails, um, uh, be outside their offices, still protest, still push your agenda to them. The mistake we make is that we vote on election day and then after that we sit back and do nothing. No. When, when, they, when, when they have overwhelming support coming out, after the election, still pushing agendas, they know, okay, people are watching and we have to be more careful. We, we, you remind them that you work for us. And when you have an overwhelming number of people showing up midterm election, voting a lot of these jokers out of office, firing them because midterm election and election day, that's hiring day and firing day. That's when we get to hire and fire the, uh, uh, these elected officials. And when you have an overwhelming 
number of people coming out voting. And they eliminate a lot of these jokers who are office. It scares the hell out of them. I'm telling you, it scares the hell out of them. Because they realize, uh-oh. Okay, they're reminding us that we work for them. And they will fire us. And the U.S. Senate is, is, is so important. The U.S. Senate is so important because they do the confirmation here. It's not the House of Representatives. House of Representatives is, is important. U.S. Senate is more important. They do the confirmation hearings, not just for Secretary of Education, not just for Attorney General, not just for Secretary of State, not just for uh, 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 EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, but also for Supreme Court justices. They do the Senate confirmation hearings. All right, so Corey Foy on Facebook said, what great strides have we made in education under the last president? Has our ranking globally improved? Well, actually, if you look at whitehouse.gov, we talked about it here on the show before. I don't know where you work, Corey. If you actually look at whitehouse.gov, progress of, progress of African-Americans under the Obama administration, we see, that the, we see that the graduation rate for African-Americans in high school is the highest it's ever been. That's under the President Obama administration, not under Donald Trump. Donald Trump can't claim, he can't claim those numbers like he tried to claim uh, the numbers for the uh, uh, January uh, 2017, uh, 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 the, higher, the, the uh, jobs numbers, 277,000 jobs created hell that was most of that was under the obama administration we'll talk about that tomorrow because fox news tried to give donald trump credit for that if you go to whitehouse.gov and look at progress of african americans under the obama administration which most people have not including most african americans have not that's why they keep saying nonsense like president obama didn't do anything for black people because you haven't read you haven't done the research there was more that could have been done, and we should have pushed more, not just the president, but also Congress. Because for the most part, we didn't do that, especially early on. But if you actually look at that, the information's there. The, the, the high school graduation rate for African Americans is at its highest in history. Thanks, Obama. All right. Now, um, Helen Wright uh, Pickus said we have to stay strong. Yeah, that's true. We have to stay strong, but we have to be smart and vigilant as well. And we have to study policy and also get our black asses out and make sure we vote. Because staying at home is a vote for the opposition. Those who stayed at home, that was a vote for Donald Trump. You voted for Trump. That's why Donald Trump thanked African-Americans who stayed at home and didn't vote. Okay. That's why he that's why he, he that's why he think because he knew that that helped him. Progress of African-Americans, progress of the African-American community during the Obama administration, whitehouse.gov, official website of the White House. Education, the high school graduation rate for African-American students is at its highest point in history. In the 2013-2014 academic school year, 72.5% of African-American public high school students graduated within four years. Since the president, since President Obama took office, over one million more black and Hispanic students enrolled in college. Since President Obama took office, over one million more black and Hispanic students enrolled in college. Among African-Americans and Hispanic students 25 and older. High school completion is higher than ever before. 
among African Americans and Hispanics students, 25 years and older, high school completion is higher than ever before. Among African Americans, Hispanics, and Asian students, 25 years and older, bachelor degree attainment is higher than ever before. As of 2015, 88% of the African American population, 25 and older, had at least a high school degree, and 23% had at least a bachelor's degree. And you think that elections don't have consequences. Okay. I, I will question what type of research you've done. I will question can you read? I will question what type of research have you done? Whitehouse.gov, progress of the African American community during the Obama administration. Proper documentation ends all conversation. If we disagree, let's disagree based upon the facts and the evidence, not the fact that you don't want to deal with the evidence. All right. Um Let's see. Okay, let's continue with some questions here. Uh, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All of my DVD lectures are there. Uh, we have the Hidden Colors Family Bundle Pack. You get all four installments of Hidden Colors and four of my DVD lectures and one installment of Afro Man and Protectors of the Book of Knowledge. You get uh, all that for uh, one low price. That's uh, actually uh, it, 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 you get that for a hundred dollars. I think it's a hundred and twelve with shipping and handling, something like that. Because it's a big, it's a big package. Okay, all right. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and continue here, and we'll take we'll we'll hit this on the next commercial break. Okay, so Tiffany Blunt says she knows nothing about education. You are correct, Tiffany. She is clueless, like Stacy Dash. Kentuan Slade L, E L, he's a Moor, said, We have allowed the political process to make us lazy. We are the only people on earth that has lost who we who we are, but we so quickly so quick to bring others in. We have to understand in order uh for us to be better, we have to do for us. Uh yeah, and, and other people did for themselves also with the help of the government as well. You know, I find it very interesting that Moors who get status from the government, who get benefits from the government, who get land redistributed from the government, who get whatever type of benefits and rights, whatever you get, that comes from a government recognizing your status. That comes from a government. Well, you want to deal with the Treaty of Peace and Friendship, 1786 and 1787. That was between two governments. Between Morocco and Morocco was here. I've read your information. Morocco was here. They're not talking about that was El Morocco. That was here in this land. I've read your information. I find it very interesting that people who want to who want to talk about this and do it for self don't want to acknowledge that the that the government has helped everybody. The government has helped everybody. Okay, and if you didn't have and you and, and, and if you didn't have a U.S. government in place, you wouldn't have a government to distribute the resources to the quote unquote Moorish nations. All right. Tiffany Blanc says she is a billionaire. Yes, she is. Okay. Uh, she said our urban schools are worse. Um LaShawn Hall said, as of December 2016, American students were outperformed by their counterparts in 36 countries in math. 
18 countries in science and 14 countries in reading. And it's going to get worse on the Betsy DeVos. It's going to get worse on the Betsy DeVos. Did you all read the article from thinkprogress.org from January 10th? While the racist history of school vouchers matters today. Did y'all read this article? Thinkprogress.org. The, why the racist history of school vouchers matters today. Senator Elizabeth Warren alluded to the disturbing roots of school vouchers. But what does she mean? Now, Donald Trump is a huge advocate of school vouchers. He's also an advocate of charter schools. Betsy DeVos is a huge advocate of school vouchers. She's also an advocate of charter schools. See, what a lot of people don't know about school vouchers is that you had a big increase in them in private schools after Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. Okay? After the U.S. Supreme Court's Brown versus Board of Education decision, several southern states embraced resistance to integration through the opening of private schools that became known as segregation academies. Governors in Virginia and North Carolina supported the closure of entire school districts that were ordered to integrate and and use uh, uh, and, and the use of private school vouchers as a way to and they use private school vouchers as a way to push against integration. Erica Frankenberg, associate professor in the Department of Education Policies in the College of Education at Pennsylvania State University said that although white students were affected by district closures, they had far more educational opportunities than black families left without a school district. Okay, now, uh, 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 Senator Elizabeth Warren wrote in her statement, she said after Brown versus Board of Education and the court ordered segregation of uh, uh, public schools, okay, uh, in, the, in, the, in the end to the court ordered segregation of public schools, Many southern states established voucher schemes, okay, to uh, uh, school vouchers. Many southern states established voucher schemes to allow white students to leave the educational system and take taxpayer dollars with them, decimating the budgets of the public school districts. Today's voucher schemes can be just as harmful to public school district budgets because they often leave school districts with less funding to teach the most disadvantaged students while funneling private dollars to unaccountable private schools that are not held to the same academic or civil rights standards as public schools. And Betsy DeVos is a huge advocate of school vouchers and charter schools. So is Donald J. Trump. This is why he nominated this idiot to be Secretary of Education. They are totally against public schools. Totally get and eighty five percent of children across the, across the country are educated in public schools, and about eighty five ninety percent of African American children are educated in public schools. All right, now, um, Lashawn Hall said, "How about jobs? How about our students are ill prepared to enter college? Uh, world of work, limited survival skills. Yeah, yeah. Now also." Um, you have a lot of room for improvement, but also what I find interesting, LaShawn, is that um, you didn't state that um, as of 2015, 88%, you didn't, you didn't state that um, 
African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians 25 years or older, uh, their bachelor's degree attainment is higher than it, than ever before. The bachelor degree attainment of African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians 25 years old or older is is higher than ever before. WhiteHouse.gov progress of the African American community during the Obama administration. Now, Andre Jackson, okay, how you doing? Uh, Nana, Adu, Emma, uh, okay. All right. Kentuan Slade L said, how, how about the jobs don't care how much education you have? Some jobs is better taught hands-on instead of in college class. So that sounds like the teacher isn't doing their job. I could tell a lot of these people have no experience in the educational system. See, my mother taught five decades in Detroit public schools. I come from a long line of educators. I could tell some of these people have no experience in the classroom. Okay, LaShawn Hall said, wrong bureaucrats like DeVos come in and tell us what we can and can't do in our classrooms. And that's one of the things Secretary of Education does. That's one of the things the Educational Department does. They set standards. They set standards. Go to, um, is it education.gov? I think it's education.gov is the uh, official website of the Secretary of Education. Uh, I think that's education.gov. I have to check that. Okay. Um, Sean Hall said we are the only professionals I know of that have others with n with no or limited background in education over us monitoring what we do and telling us how to do it you have a lot of bureaucrats who have no experience in education Betsy DeVos is one of them she's never been a member of the PTA her children didn't go to public school she's never been a teacher never been a teacher's aide none of that okay uh, yeah, education.gov or ed.gov. If you go to education.gov or redirects to ed.gov, that's the official website of the U.S. Department of Education. Okay, uh, so check out that website. All right. Um, all right. Okay. If you have children in a in a school, you you should visit that school. I'm just saying. Visit the school, meet the teachers, go to parent-teacher conferences. If you can't make it to parent-teacher conferences, set up a um, uh, a phone call with the teacher to get an update on your child on a regular basis. My mother, my mother taught in in the public school system in Detroit, so parent-teacher conferences were usually on the same day at her school that they were at my school. So a lot of times she couldn't make it. So what did my mom do? She sent a progress report to my teachers, to every one of my teachers, for my teacher to fill it out. This this continued into high school, mind you. Okay. Just I'm speaking from experience. All right. Um. Okay. So let's go to this next story here. Um, let's go to the, let me see, we want to go to the travel ban. Let me see if I get this clip to play here. All right. So we have, um, showdown at 6 PM today, right? 
um, Donald Trump and the travel ban uh, is in the hands of the appeals court. They talked about it um, this morning on News One Now with Roland Martin. We're going to try to get this clip um, playing. Um, let's see. We'll see if we can get this playing. I want to go to this next story here. We may come back to that tomorrow. I want to go to this next story. Um, AtlantaBlackStar.com had a really good article dealing with um, six facts that show white-on-white -white crime is an ignored epidemic in America. Now, notice how Donald Trump doesn't talk about white-on-white -white crime, right? See, he talks about the killings in Chicago. Well, first of all, uh, it seems like Donald Trump is, is, is under the assumption that everybody killed in Chicago is African-American, number one. About 80% of them are, but all of them aren't. Okay, number one. Number two, he, he doesn't talk about the uh, white people killing each other. He's not talking about sending in the feds into white neighborhoods, anything like that, right? I, I just find this extremely interesting, and it's, it's stereotypical, okay? But that's what that's what you expect from somebody like Donald Trump. So, um, AtlantaBlackStar.com has this article from a couple of days ago, February fifth. Okay, and it says while black on black crime, quote unquote, black on black crime, which is that was created in the 1980s by uh, the media, by the way, that term. Uh, while this has been a central. Um, OK, hold on. The screen is jumping. Just a minute here. All right. Hold on. Okay, so while black-on-black -black crime has been the central conservative talking point when discussing black America, conservatives in white America have completely ignored their own epidemic of criminal activity. Imagine that. They're being hypocrites. Imagine that. Okay? Now, we'll go to this uh, story here from News One Now in just a minute. Okay, so... Um, and we see this, you see this on Fox News, things like this. You see this with Donald Trump as well. Now, for a century, African-American men have essentially become the face of rape in America. But data show that rape in America is overwhelmingly carried out by whites, according to FBI statistics from 2011. The most recent ones available. Whites accounted for 66.3% of rapes committed. 66.3% of rapes committed. OK, the same data showed that African-Americans uh, committed only 31 percent of the rapes. OK, now we're not condoning rape, but it's like, you know, you see more coverage of it when it's African-Americans committing rape than, than white people. However, the 2011 report revealed even more uh, startling numbers that beg the question, why are news pundits, politicians and white America in general silent on white on white crime? OK, so they put together some facts here. Let's go through this here. Uh, OK, they put together some facts. We'll go through this on the other side of the break. We'll be back from break in three minutes. You listen to the Michael M. Hotep show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network with Knowledge is Power. 
Here's a clip from Hidden Colors for the Religion of White Supremacy. It's available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We also have the Hidden Colors Family Bundle Pack as well. One way the white supremacists have been able to dominate and subjugate melanated people around the planet is by controlling the education, by controlling the knowledge, and controlling the knowledge of history. Because if you don't know yourself, you don't know how to empower yourself. If you don't know your history, you won't know your future. And the white supremacists have been very meticulous in, in erasing the history of African people and inserting themselves into that history. The Greeks were the last race of people that the Egyptians passed the arcane knowledge onto. That's why it's Greek to me came from. They were the last ones that the Egyptians gave that to. It took three generations of Greeks under Egyptian rulership that they could finally find one that they could teach. And the Egyptians call their land Kemet, and they use a piece of charcoal, a burnt piece of wood as charcoal, to symbolize what they mean, the blackest black. And all of their carvings of themselves, they paint their skins dark brown or black. They have white paint, red paint, yellow paint, but they paint themselves black. How anyone in the world, with so much information available for the public to see, can even be under any illusions that the Egyptian is even light-skinned. Just when you look at climate and weather, if you go to Egypt, you will notice that the weather is quite hot. And you will notice that it is almost impossible to be able to be outside dressed the way the carvings on the walls are as it relates to the people. Because you would get melanoma before we even knew melanoma existed. So they could not have been uh, depigmented or less pigmented. They have to have been heavily pigmented. So what we have then is various eyewitness descriptions where people visited Egypt and they left an account of the Egyptians in their texts. So what you have is people like Herodotus who describes them as black-skinned and woolly-haired. Galen who describes them as having short, black, dry and brittle hair. Not to mention, as Dr. Clark has taught us, where in the world did they do what they did in Africa? He used to say, are you telling me that Eurasians came out of Europe and built Africa up, but never went back to Europe to develop their civilizations the way they did in Africa? Or does it make sense that it was built up in Africa and it was sporadically brought across the globe to China and to Iraq and to uh, Iran and into Europe uh, where you have the Stonehenge? Welcome back to the Michael M. Hotep show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network, where now is this power. All right, that's another clip from Hidden Colors for the Religion of White Supremacy. It's available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, along with a lot of other documentaries as well. And uh, all of my DVD lectures are there also. Okay. Um, let's see here. Okay. All right. Okay, so back to this article here. Um, six facts that show white on white crime is an ignored epidemic in America. Okay, I would also encourage you to read the uh, two other articles. One from uh, 
one from um, thinkprogress.org, uh, how media outlets uh, convince you, that, how media outlets help convince you that most criminals are black. How, how news outlets, how news outlets help convince you that most criminals are black. Number one, read that article. Number two, read the article, nine facts that show white on white crime far exceeds black on black crime and how media outlets conceal it. Nine facts that show white on white crime far exceeds black on black crime and how media outlets conceal it. That's from AtlantaBlackStar.com. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So back to this article here. So they have a video they put together and in the video it has some facts. Um, from AtlantaBlackStar.com, six facts that show white on white crime is is an ignored epidemic in America. Okay, uh, so in the video says, um, okay, all right, let's see here. Okay, no more than 0.7 percent of African Americans will commit a violent crime against a white person in a given year. Okay, no more than Just a second. Okay, no more than 0.7% of African Americans will commit a violent crime against a white person in a given year. Number one. Uh, number two, wait for this to go. Okay, fewer than 0.3% of whites will be victimized by a black person in a given year. Fewer than 0.3% of whites will be victimized by a white person in a given year, by a black person in a given year. Now, the vast majority of white people are killed by other white people. We know this, right? You kill where you live. 84% of homicides against whites are carried out by other white people. The number of white murderers far exceeds the number of black murderers. You don't hear this on Fox News every night. The number of white murderers far exceeds the number of black murderers. According to the most recent FBI homicide statistics, which are from 2011, um, 2,630 white people killed 3,172 white people that year. 2011, 2,630 white people killed 3,172 white people in 2011. All right. Um, whites are six times more likely to be murdered by another white person than they are to be murdered by African Americans. Now, white people commit more crimes than any other race. You wouldn't notice watching local news. As the largest demographic in the U.S., whites commit the most crimes. Whites lead blacks by, by two to one in arrests. Whites commit rape more than all other ethnic groups. The FBI data shows 63.3% of rapes were committed by white people. 66.3% of rapes were committed by white people, while only 31% of rapes were committed by African Americans. Now, white people kill more members of vulnerable populations than any other race also. White people kill more members of vulnerable populations than any other race as well. Vulnerable populations are generally defined as children and the elderly. Okay. Now, 56% of murders against these vulnerable groups are committed by white people. 
whites are responsible for most gang related homicides. We talked about that here on the show. Fifty three percent. Fifty three percent of gang related homicides are committed by white people. Fifty three percent of gang homicides are committed by white people. Now, when they commit these gang homicides, like the shootout, like the gang, like the massive gang shootout you saw in uh, in Texas. Um, I can't remember. Was that Waco, Texas? Uh, and you had like 400 people involved uh, uh, in that. And, you know, you, you haven't heard a whole lot of updates about that case. Notice that. Right. This was in May, around May of 2015. AOL.com has an article. Name of this article about 1000 weapons found at scene of deadly Texas gang fight. About 1000 weapons found at scene of deadly Texas gun gang fight. OK, about 1000 weapons, including firearms and knives, have been recovered from the scene of a deadly Sunday battle between rival motorcycle gangs in the Texas city of Waco that left nine people dead. And this was according to a police spokesman uh, that told that, that uh, shared this information with CNN. Gang members hid weapons in bags of potato chips and in bathrooms at the Twin Peaks restaurant where they attacked each other. With guns, knives, brass knuckles, clubs, and chains, Waco Police uh, Sergeant Patrick Swanson said. Now, these were mainly white people, and you had some Hispanics going buck wild. Did the people ask, where were their fathers? Did people say they should pull their pants up? I'm not against, I'm, I'm not against pulling your pants up, because you, you should do that. She has some self-respect for yourself and for your family. Walk around showing your underwear like that. Also, the brothers that walk around with their pants hanging off their behind. You ever stop and think that somebody bigger than you may pull them down and bend your ass over? You ever stop and think about that? Maybe some of you want that to happen. So that's why you walk around with your pants hanging off your behind. I don't, I don't know. Okay, so um, you have this going on in Waco. This is just a perfect, this is just an example. All right. 53% of gang-related homicides are committed by white people. And when you read the article from uh, AtlantaBlackStar.com, the other one, Nine Facts About White-on-White Crime That Far Exceed Black-on-Black Crime. Let me see. Nine, nine Facts That Show White-on-White Crime Far Exceeds Black-on-Black Crime and How Media Outlets Conceal It. <laughs> when you read that article, number seven talks about gang-related homicides. And how white people commit most of the gang-related homicides, but just not reported in the media. The majority of white gang murder victims are also white. Yeah, the majority, fifty-six uh, percent uh, uh, of white gang uh, murder victims are white. Now, now, why isn't Donald Trump talking about sending the feds into the white neighborhoods? With a with the gang with a majority of gang related murders take place. Why isn't Donald Trump talking about that? Corporate white collar crime is a greater threat to society than street crime. Corporate white collar crime is a greater threat to society than street crime. The race of corporate criminals is excluded from crime reports because the offender is considered an institution rather than. Hold on, let me back this up. The offender is considered an institution. Um, 
Okay, hold on. Okay, defender is considered an institution rather than an individual. The offender is considered an institution rather than an individual. All right, however, one could extrapolate the race and ethnic composition of most corporate decision makers. Uh-oh. All right, now, class advantage, class advantage white males in particular are uniquely situated to take advantage of an extraordinary range of opportunities to commit the most substantial forms of corporate and occupational crime. Wait for this to go to the next screen here. Okay, now corporate crimes often cause major job loss, increased tax burden on the public, widespread health problems, and massive loss of life. We saw corporate we saw corporate crimes committed by uh, Wells Fargo when they put pressure on employees to open up 2.5 million fraudulent accounts in the names of existing customers. That was pressure put on employees from the executives, from the higher ups at Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo got busted for it. Corporate crimes often cause major job loss, increased tax burden on the public, widespread health problems and massive loss of life. Okay. Now, white-collar crime costs roughly $200 billion annually. White-collar crime costs roughly $200 billion annually compared to blue-collar crime, which costs only about $14 billion annually. Now, you would think with Donald Trump talking about being a fiscal conservative, Donald Trump talking about saving money. Now, check this out. You would think Donald Trump talking about saving money and being so fiscally responsible and saying, oh, we won with a smaller team and blah, blah, blah. You would think he would focus most of his attention and his tweets on white-collar crime, okay? And in, in, in the case of Chicago, ask Mayor Rahm Emanuel, what type of resources do you need to get this under control? You've had 50, at least 50 school closings in Chicago. You've had this, you've had the city of Chicago have to pay out $521 million in police misconduct lawsuits from 2004 to 2014. Does Donald Trump call for increased accountability of police in Chicago? No. The Department of Justice under Donald Trump, what they did was they put a pause on the um, consent of the consent decree because of the investigation by the Department of Justice into the patterns and practices of the Chicago Police Department. They put a pause on that consent decree after it showed overwhelmingly that the police in Chicago were abused. Many of them were abusing citizens in Chicago, especially African-Americans. Shooting guns at them unnecessarily, tasering them unnecessarily, all types of things. When has Donald Trump come out and denounced the uh, uh, improprieties of uh, certain members of the Chicago Police Department? I don't want to. I don't want to throw all. I don't want to put all thirteen thousand members of the Chicago Police Department in the same bag. Okay, but the ones who are wrong. When has Donald Trump come out and denounced that? He's not because he was endorsed and Mike Pence, they were endorsed by the Fraternal Order of Police, which is the largest police union in the country. 330,000 members. Okay. Now, compared to blue collar crime, 
which costs $14 billion a year. White collar crime costs $200 billion a year. Now, white crime is historically politically ignored. White crime is historically politically ignored. President Barack Obama and none of the white previous presidents have ever spoken a word about the phenomenon of white on white crime. Where are the discussions, marches and conferences? Where are the discussions, marches and conferences aimed at ending the white on white crime epidemic? OK, this is from Atlanta Blackstar dot com. All right. Um, now, that last statement, I'm not sure how accurate that last statement is. The reason why is is because when you talked about opioid addiction and heroin addiction, we know crime is related to that. We know there's been an effort, and President Obama has actually talked about this, and a lot of BlackStar.com has, has had articles about this, has, has talked about um, um, the change in um, the... Um, the way addiction is looked at, looking at it as a public health issue as opposed to a criminal justice issue. And President Obama actually said that it, a lot of that had to do uh, with the way with who was being uh, who the majority of the people were being uh, who were addicted to um, heroin. He's referring to white people. OK. And from that addiction comes crimes that are committed as well. So I'm not exactly how accurate, how 100% accurate that last statement is. But the um, information in the, the rest of that information in there is sound. And you can look at FBI crime statistics from 2011 for that as well. Okay. So check out the article, Six Facts. Uh, six Facts that show white on white crime is an ignored epidemic in uh, America. That's from Atlanta Black Star dot com Atlanta Black Star dot com. All right. Well, you know, Friday on the show we talked about uh Tamron Hall. I wrote an article about that. Uh I put the segment from Friday's show dealing with Tamron Hall on uh our YouTube channel as well. So go to African History Network dot com, African History Network dot com, click on the banner for our YouTube channel. You can watch that, and you can read uh, the article I wrote uh, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We also have uh, the information posted on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. So National Association of Black Journalists, they spoke out. The Root.com has an article about this. Um, NBC agrees to talk with NABJ post Tamron Hall. Now, NBC News has responded to criticism of the exit of today's show co-anchor Tamron Hall by indicating that it would accept uh, an, an offer by the National Association of Black Journalists to discuss the issue. In, uh, quote, NBC News has a long and proven history as an industry leader in newsroom diversity, end quote. Uh, the network said in a statement on Thursday, okay, last Thursday, uh, quote, we will continue to engage in the running dialogue we've had for many years with the National Association of Black Journalists and other advocacy groups to uh, advance those goals, end quote. Uh, meanwhile, Tamron Hall uh, took to social media on Thursday to thank her fans and followers for their support. We played that clip on our show Friday. Uh, and check out the uh, check out the segment from YouTube. Um, the article I wrote in the YouTube uh, video is entitled Tamron Hall wasn't fired by NBC, MSNBC. She quit. NABJ calls it a whitewashing. 
Now, uh, a day after, so she posted this a day after it was announced that she will uh, be leaving NBC News and MSNBC when her contract expires. Uh, actually, her contract expired at the end of January. That's when the contract expired. Uh, and she and she thanked her follow, followers and encouraged them to follow in her footsteps by donating to organizations and nonprofits that are in need. Okay, now. Um, Okay, so check out this article from NBCNews.com. Uh, the article goes on to say, um, in a statement Wednesday after NBC announced that Tamron Hall, the first African-American female to co-host the Today Show, is leaving NBC and MSNBC. National Association of Black Journalists said in a statement, quote, NBC has been a leader for diversity in broadcasting, but recent reports that Tamron Hall and Al Roker will be replaced by former Fox News anchor Megyn Kelly are being seen by industry professionals as whitewashing, end quote. Uh, and uh, the uh, National Association of Black Journalists asked for a meeting with NBC. Now, the network sought to replace Tamron Hall and co-host Al Roker, also an African-American journalist on the Today Show, uh, on the Today Show's third hour at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. Now, I know Al Roker is the weatherman. I'm not sure. May, maybe he does have a background in journalism. I'm not exactly sure. That's what the article says. Now, NBC plans to make room for Megyn Kelly, although it has not been decided whether Megyn Kelly or the 10 a.m. Eastern Time uh, host Kathy Lee Gifford and Hoda, uh, and Hoda would take over the third uh, hour of the Today Show. OK, um, so they're still trying to figure that out, whether they, whether they'll move Kathy Lee Gifford and Hoda to the third hour of the Today Show, which is the top rated hour in the time slot and give the 10 a.m. slot to Megyn Kelly or whether Megyn Kelly would take the third hour, okay, of the Today Show, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Now, Lloyd Grove of the Daily Beast reported Wednesday, um, last Wednesday, that Tamron Hall, quote, turned down a multi-million dollar offer to stay, according to a person familiar with the situation, including a significant role on the first two hours of the Today Show, the uh, uh, the weekend nightly news anchor chair and expanded role uh, on Dateline NBC, essentially Lester Holt's portfolio before he was named nightly news uh, weekday anchor and the opportunity to continue hosting her MSNBC show. OK, so this is why I said because I saw people saying, oh, she was fired. She was pushed out. No, she wasn't fired. She quit. They offered her all this and she turned it down. She turned down a multi-million dollar offer to stay. NBC tried to get her to stay. She turned down a multi-million dollar offer to stay. Okay, she wasn't fired. She quit. Read my article that I wrote about this and watch the video. Now, Al Roker took a moment on Thursday's show to address Tamron Hall's departure. Uh, Danny Levy reported. Uh, Danny Levy reported for Variety magazine, and Al Roker said, "As some of you may have heard by now, our good friend Tamron Hall has decided to leave NBC News." Um, uh, personally, Tamron has been not just a co-host here on today's take, which was what the last hour of the Today Show was called for the past three years, but a good friend and not just to me, to all of us here. Uh, we want to wish her nothing but the best, much continued success and cannot wait to see 
what her next chapter is. Okay, so some whatever is going to happen is, is going to be something big for Tamron Hall. Okay, some people are saying they hope that she starts her own news network or no or her own news organization like Soledad O'Brien did when Soledad O'Brien left CNN. Okay, now um, let's see here. Okay. And uh, Chanel Jones uh, agreed uh, with uh, Al Roker's statements, uh, uh, commenting she's going to rock it no matter what she does. And, and Chanel Jones is on on week on weekends, uh, sometimes on MSNBC. She comes after Joy and Reed show uh, AM Joy on MSNBC. So Chanel Jones is usually on like maybe 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Chanel Jones is very good also. Um, okay, so check out this article from the root.com. NBC agrees to talk with NABJ post Tamron Hall. All right. Okay, so we've got that. Uh, it's so much going on in the news. Couple articles to check out. Big article from New York Times. They were talking about it all in the, in the, uh, news cycle yesterday. Uh, this is from February 5th. Trump and staff rethink tactics after stumbles. Trump and staff rethink tactics after stumbles. This is a huge article from New York Times talking about the not ready for primetime players. President Trump loves to set the day's narrative at dawn, but the deepest story of his White House is best told at night. AIDS confer, A-I-D-E-S, AIDS confer in the dark because they cannot figure out how to operate the light switches in the cabinet room. Visitors conclude their meetings and then wander around testing doorknobs until finding out uh, uh finding finding one that leads to an exit in a darkened mostly empty west wing mr trump's provocative chief strategist stephen k bannon white supremacist white nationalist finishes another 16 hour day planning new lines of attack usually around 6:30 p.m. or sometimes later Mr. Trump retires upstairs to the residence to recharge, vent, and intermittently use Twitter. With his wife Melania and young son Barron staying in New York, he, he is almost always by himself, sometimes in the protective presence of his imposing longtime aide and former security chief Keith, Keith Schiller. When Donald Trump is not watching television in his bathrobe or on his phone reaching out to old campaign hands and advisors, he will sometimes set off to explore the unfamiliar surroundings of his new home. During his first two dizzying weeks in office, Mr. Trump, an outsider president, working with a surprisingly small crew of no more than a half a dozen empowered aides with virtually no, familiar, no familiarity with the workings of the White House or federal government sent shockwaves at home and overseas with a succession of executive orders designed to fulfill campaign promises and taunt foreign leaders. Stephen Bannon said, we are moving uh, big and we are moving fast. We, did, we didn't come here to do small things. But uh, quote unquote, but one thing has become apparent to both his allies and his opponents when it comes to governing speed does not always guarantee success. The bungled rollout of his executive order, barring immigrants from seven predominantly Muslim countries, a flurry of other miscues and embarrassments 
and an approval rating lower than that of any comparable first term president in the history of polling have missed have Donald Trump and his top staff rethinking an improvisational improvisational approach to governing that mirrors his chaotic presidential campaign administration officials and Trump insiders said read the rest of this article this is a this is a this is a scathing damaging article from New York Times Trump and staff rethink tactics after stumbles he had a big article from Washington Post yesterday February 6th Apple, Facebook, Apple, Facebook, many other tech firms call travel ban unlawful in rare coordinated legal action. You have about 95, you have about 97 corporations that have come together to denounce the uh, Donald Trump administration's contentious uh, entry ban or immigration ban. Okay. The uh, on Sunday night, technology comp technology giants, Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Netflix, Twitter, Uber, and many others filed a legal brief opposing the administration's contentious entry ban. The move represents a rare coordinated action against a broad swath of the industry, about a hundred companies in total, and demonstrates the depth of animosity towards the Trump order. Now, this is good they're doing this. But my question is, where is Apple, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, Netflix, Twitter, Uber, and these other corporations where African-Americans are being shot dead in the street by rogue police officers? Or when you have uh, high poverty rates in the African-American community, okay? And in some, in some communities, you have upticks in the crime rate and things like this. Where are these corporations then? Where, where, where are they to help? Because African-Americans help support we spend billions of dollars with all these corporations. We help support all these corporations. Where where are they when that takes place? Very interesting. Okay. Um, when we come back from the break, we're going to go to this clip from News One Now with Roland Martin. The rest of the stuff we have to get to tomorrow. All right. We'll share the segment, Donald Trump's African-American Agenda from AM Joy. We'll share that tomorrow. Okay. Um, all right, listen to the Michael M. Hotep show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network, where knowledge is power. Um, we'll be back in a few minutes. Would that make better sense? So the answer is, there is no question at this point. Many of the artifacts that are on display in many of the Egyptian collections around the world are fakes. Nefertiti statue is of doubtful authenticity. That's a posh way of saying it's almost certainly a fake. A number of scholars have come out quite recently. Henri Sterling in um, Switzerland, he's come out and said, listen, this is a 100-year forgery. If there is hundreds of paintings of Nefertiti and all of them are black, all of the statues in the Cairo Museum of Nefertiti is black, only this one little white statue in Germany is white. Something's wrong with that picture. Marx was instructed to use the face of Lud uh, Ludwig's wife, Emily Bruchard. So the face that supposedly was the most beautiful face of ancient history is actually the features of 
uh, Ludwig Brochard's wife, Emily Brochard. So now, that's not even the half of it. Hmm, beautiful statue, came out of the ground. Hmm, no, it didn't come out of the ground. What happened was, he, Brochard, was forced to bring it forward after 11 years. But what did he do? He took the head that Marx made, went back to the Tel Alamar site, covered it up with dirt, and came out and had a photo op as if that's how he found it. One common lie and misconception that many white supremacists likes to, like to promote is that the African people didn't invent the wheel. That African people were just primitive, living in West Africa, waiting on the white supremacists to come save them. But in Africa, especially in the area that we now know as southern Libya, right in the Saharan Desert, there were rock paintings of black Africans on chariots. And you can see the wheel. And these paintings go back 7,000 years. In 951 AD, there was a scholar called Ibn Halkal, and he wrote a book. And in his book, he describes two things. The first is visiting a fringe city of ancient Ghana called Aldergast. And he witnessed a merchant writing another merchant a check for 42,000 golden dinars. Now that should blow people's heads clean off. West Africa had checks 951 AD. Welcome back to the Michael M. Hotep show right here on the Empowerment Radio Network with Niles' Power. All right, that's another excerpt from Hidden Colors for the Religion and White Supremacy. It's available right now at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and the Hidden Colors Family Bundle Pack as well. Uh, I want to remind you, coming up uh, tomorrow is uh, uh, Wednesday, uh, 9 p.m. 11 p.m. We're having the uh, Economic Empowerment Conference call with Dave Anderson. We're dealing with uh, uh, economic empowerment. We're dealing with uh, business development, real estate development, and foreign exchange currencies, Okay. Um, so if you want information about the call, email me at info, I-N-F-O, info at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, info, I-N-F-O, info at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? All right, now, um, this morning on News One Now with Roland Martin, they talked about, uh, excuse me, they talked about Donald Trump's travel, travel ban, and it's now in the hands of an appeals court. Let's go to this clip. Folks, for the past several days, uh, we, the nation has been gripped uh, in protests all across the country after President Trump's team imposed an executive order uh, putting in place a ban on folks traveling from seven countries. <coughs> now, the Trump team says this is not a ban on Muslims when critics say it absolutely is. Several federal judges have ruled against the administration saying that it is unconstitutional. Now they are going to go to court. Oral arguments will take place today, 6 p.m. Eastern, in a court in San Francisco. The Justice Department, they are trying to reinstate the travel ban that was put on hold by a Seattle judge on Friday. Now, since the lower court suspension, foreign nationals from seven predominantly Muslim countries have been traveling to the United States, making their way here. President Trump All right, just a minute here. Let me uh, see what's going on with this clip. They're trying to reinstate the travel ban that was put on hold by a Seattle judge 
on Friday. Now, since the lower court suspension, foreign nationals from seven predominantly Muslim countries have been traveling to the United States, making their way here. President Trump. All right, just a minute here. I'm not sure uh, we're having a problem with this clip here. We'll try to get this um, open in another browser, see if we can get this working here. Um, very quickly, I want to go to this other clip. I want to uh, go quickly to this other article. This is from thinkprogress.org today. Thinkprogress.org came out today, February 7th. Trump's list of underreported attacks contains zero perpetuated by white supremacists or or Islamophobes. So yesterday, I mean these I mean these these people just some outright fools. I mean day by day it gets worse. This is the third week. Day by day it gets worse. Just when you think it can't get any worse, it gets worse. Right? This is why elections have consequences. This is why elections have consequences. And this is why you have to study the policies of these people. Okay. So yesterday, the um, Trump administration, they put out a list of 78 terror attacks that they believe did not receive adequate media coverage. Okay. And they put out this list. The list had a lot of ty uh, typos in it. They misspelled the word attacker, things like this. Okay. It, it, it contained numerous attacks that now what was interesting is that this list contained numerous attacks that received wall to wall media coverage such such as the San Bernardino mass shooting. OK, for which the Los Angeles Times won a Pulitzer Prize for their coverage of it. Uh, the November 2015 attack in Paris, Paris, France, uh, the BBC covered every single attack uh, on the list. OK, but the, uh, they the, the list from the from the Trump administration did not uh, include any attacks that were perpetuated by white supremacists or Islamophobes, people who are against Islam, hate Islam or white ring, white wing extremists, white wing extremists didn't have any attacks by those people. White House officials promised to provide the media with the list earlier Monday following President Trump's speech uh, to CENTCOM, okay, um, Central Command, where he accused the media of trying to cover up for terrorists, a line pushed by conspiracy theory websites like InfoWars, okay? This is where he, this, okay, they need to pass a law uh, that you have to have, you have to pass a mental uh, examination to become president even just to be the nominee of the party you have to pass a mental examination the Trump administration's list of 78 terror attacks it believes did not receive adequate media coverage contained zero perpetuated by okay so I said that okay um, so the Charleston massacre is not there okay um Left unmentioned during the speech and during any other public comment Donald Trump has made is a January 29 mass shooting at a mosque in Quebec in Quebec City. OK, in Canada that left six dead and was reportedly perpetuated by a white nationalist anti-immigrant Trump fan. 
Okay, and Trump's list of underreported attacks omits recent mass shootings in the U.S., like the like the murder of nine African American worshippers at the historically uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, in June of 2015, and the murder of three people at a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado Springs a few months later that were committed by a white non-Muslim uh, by white non-Muslim men linked to extremists ideologies three days after the quebec city shooting reuters reuters.com reported that the trump administration wants a federal counterterrorism program to stop focusing on violent white supremacists and any other extremist groups not comprised of muslims asked about that report during a press conference last week press secretary sean spicer sean spicer did not deny it despite the Despite the Trump administration's focus on Muslims, a study published in 2015 found that people in America are seven times as likely to be killed by a right wing extremist than a Muslim attacker. Now, now, I guarantee you, Stephen K. Bannon is behind this. Three days after the Quebec City shooting, Reuters reported that the Trump administration wants a federal counterterrorism program to stop focusing on violent white supremacists and other extremists groups not comprised of Muslims. So they want to target groups comprised of Muslims and not focus on whites not, and not focus on domestic terrorists from white supremacists. Hashtag not my president. Read this article from uh, thinkprogress.org. Trump's list of underreported attacks contains zero perpetuated by white supremacists or Islamophobes. And you thought elections had no consequences. Folks, for the past several days, uh, we, the nation has been gripped uh, in protests all across the country after President Trump's team imposed an executive order uh, putting in place a ban on folks traveling from seven countries. <clears throat> now, the Trump team says this is not a ban on Muslims when critics say it absolutely is. Several federal judges have ruled against the administration saying that it is unconstitutional. Now they are going to go to court. Oral arguments will take place today, 6 p.m. Eastern, in a court in San Francisco. The Justice Department, they are trying to reinstate the travel ban that was put on hold by a Seattle judge on Friday. Now, since the lower court suspension, foreign nationals from seven predominantly Muslim countries have been traveling to the United States, making their way here. President Trump has severely criticized the judge, uh, James Robart, and said he'd hold him accountable if the U.S. were attacked. This is what Trump tweeted, quote, just cannot believe a judge would put our country in such peril. If something happens, blame him and court system people pouring in bad. Now, among the growing opposition to Trump's travel ban, more than 100 tech companies have filed a legal brief siding with the states fighting the ban. Yesterday, also, the opposition continued, and for some reason, Trump, speaking to troops in Tampa, Florida, said the ban is part of the fight against terrorism. We will defeat radical Islamic terrorism, and we will not allow it to take root in our country. We're not going to allow it. 
We need strong programs so that people that love us and want to love our country and will end up loving our country are allowed in, not people that want to destroy us and destroy our country. A three-judge panel will hear the appeal by phone, issue their ruling. There's no doubt, no matter what happens here, it will be appealed to the Supreme Court, of course, which sits 4-4 for conservatives as well as for liberals. Joining us via Skype uh, is um, uh, Gadir Abbas, an attorney for the Council on American Islamic Relations. They filed a lawsuit in a federal court in Virginia last month challenging the Trump executive order. Also joining us uh, in D.C. is General Caldwell, Republican strategic uh, strategist at Caldwell, strategic, uh, Caldwell Consulting. Avis Jones DeWeaver, leadership strategist, author of How Black, How Exceptional Black Women Lead. Tiffany Lofton, she of course <laughs> is an education and labor union organizer. All right, first of all, uh, I want to go to you. You first, Gadir. When you listen to the president talk about this is fighting terrorism, the seven countries, there's no evidence that individuals from those seven countries have committed terrorist acts. And so, again, the rationale that he is offering makes no sense. That's absolutely uh, uh, right. All right, just a minute here to see what happened. This one was playing. Hold on just a minute. Let me see what's going on with this clip. Come on. It will be appealed to in a federal court in Virginia last month challenging the Trump executive order. Also joining us uh, in D.C. is General Caldwell, Republican strategic uh, strategist at Caldwell, strategic, uh, Caldwell Consulting. Avis Jones DeWeaver, leadership strategist, author of How Black, How Exceptional Black Women Lead. Tiffany Lofton, she of course is an education and labor union organizer. All right, first of all, uh, I want to go to you, you first, Gadir. When you listen to the president talk about this is fighting terrorism, the seven countries, there's no evidence that individuals from those seven countries have committed terrorist acts. And so, again, the rationale that he is offering makes no sense. That's absolutely uh, uh, right. Uh, this is what he described it as in his campaign. This is a ban on Muslim immigration. And one very important thing to know is that while this does not apply to all Muslims in the world, this ban only applies to Muslims. The text of the executive order itself provides a means for people that are not Muslim from these seven countries um, to immigrate to the U.S. And that's, I think, a really important thing that's being lost in the mix. There isn't a dispute about what the executive order does, and we don't have to even rely on Donald Trump's words, the words of his close advisors, because the text itself makes it very clear that this is about religious discrimination more than it is about national security. Good year. I was reading a New York Times story today and it said that some 15,000 doctors in America uh, would uh, come from these seven countries. Uh, that's a problem because you're now putting the health care of American citizens in jeopardy. 
And you're also, you would, I would not be here. My, my parents immigrated from Iraq in the 1980s um, as students. Uh, I would not be here. Um, uh, my uh, relatives would not be here. Uh, and there's a lot of folks that have made significant contributions to the United States that would not be here because of the immigration ban, the Muslim ban that has been imposed by Donald Trump. And so really what, what has made the United States stronger than uh, than uh, some European countries, than J Japan and other nations, is its willingness and openness to accept immigration. Uh, you, you see in uh, uh, modern uh, post-industrialized nations this phenomenon of decreasing populations, and immigration in the United States offsets that natural tendency for richer countries to uh, um, uh, be less uh, producing of children. And so here, what I think is really important is that at the end of the day, the Constitution forbids Donald Trump from utilizing his authority in a way that discriminates against Muslims, discriminates against Islam, and the courts are checking him against it. All right, good deal. We certainly appreciate you joining us. Uh, and certainly good luck uh, when it comes to this legal challenge. Thank you. Kickstart your day at 7 and get the news you need from the perspective you want. News One Now with Roland Martin, every weekday morning at 7 on TV One. Okay, so that was an excerpt from this morning, News One Now with Roland Martin. We'll probably play the second part of that clip tomorrow. Um, before we get out of here, I want to go to uh, um, another clip. This deals with um, Ari Melber, who's a journalist and an attorney. Uh, he guest-hosted... He uh, the last word last night with Lawrence O'Donnell. And he broke down uh, from a legal perspective the um, he broke down the um, immigration ban, right? Donald Trump's immigration ban, which is actually a Muslim ban, okay? It is actually a Muslim ban. We're going to get into this some more tomorrow, okay? Um, but he broke down why uh, it was uh, illegal. Okay, we're gonna go to that here in just a second. Okay, uh, so welcome back from the break. We took one, didn't realize it. That's the way it goes. Um, so I want to remind you all: coming up uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, we're doing the conference call with Dave Anderson, founder of the Empowerment Radio Network. We have a lot going on, right? So Dave Anderson, founder of the Parliament Radio Network. We had a conference call at 9 p.m. If you want information about that, email me at info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We're going to talk about strategies to create wealth. We'll talk about uh, real estate. Uh, we'll talk about uh, business development and uh, foreign, uh, foreign exchange currency, uh, foreign currency exchange. Okay. Uh, here is an excerpt from uh, when Dave Anderson was here in Detroit, uh, January 30th, Monday, January 30th. Okay. It was, uh, it was uh, last Monday. Okay. Let's go to this clip here. Detroit, we in the D. And every year in September, the Wayne County Tax Commissioner lets houses go for $1, $2, $3, $4, $5, $500, $2,000. And y'all paying rent? Come on, Detroit. We paying rent in Detroit? And the biggest opportunity, the biggest opportunity in real estate is right here in the D. People, listen to me. We 
We all have dreams. We all have goals. But we are spending way too much time, listen to me, class, on the job. And the job stands for what? Just over broke. We are trading our time for money, and that mentality has to stop. It stops tonight. If you go home, if you go home, class, and you tell your kids, oh, baby, I don't know how we're going to pay for college. We're going to have to sign up for a student loan. Nobody does that. Michael V. Roberts, a black billionaire down the street. I'm staying in his hotel. He's on his way right now because I called him on the phone. I said, man, I'm about to light it up. Two gave me the microphone. You know what he said? I'm on my way. I'm on my way. That Roberts Riverwalk Hotel is paid for. It's at a zero balance. People who are real entrepreneurs do not have mortgages. This is a mandate. So why is, how does this relate to IML? How does this relate to foreign currency? Let me tell you something that I learned. Every major real estate investor that I've fooled with, and I'm telling you this not from something that I think about, I'm telling you this managing a $5 million portfolio in Atlanta that don't have no mortgages attached to it. And that house, that house that Ms. Kirkland is talking about is on the market right now. All right? I own hot property with you. What I'm telling you is not something I'm thinking about. I'm telling you something I know about. You have to stay liquid, class. You have to stay liquid. Anybody that's in here in real estate knows y'all probably use mortgages to buy the real estate. You bought into that lie, into that joke. And let me just say this, the etymology behind the word mortgage, in the, in the Latin, the word mortifit means death. The second word means engage. It's an engagement until death. And you keep signing up for it for 30 or 40 years. That's nuts. That's nuts. What are we doing? We're buying into a debt culture, a debt thinking, a debt school of thought. It's not about racism and slavery. It's about being in debt. It's about being in debt. Being a slave to debt. And so what IML does, what it allows you to do is stay liquid. Any entrepreneur worth their salt knows the importance of liquidity. You can go in the market and take profit. Kathy Kirkland came up with an ideology that says you can take $500 and at 12% daily. And trading days are six days out of the week. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. At 12% interest, in 120 days it turns into a million dollars. That's not a farce. That's what it is. But ain't nobody teaching you that in the Wayne County uh, school system. They ain't teaching you that at Wayne State. My father went to Harvard. They ain't teaching that at the Harvard B School. You got to be out here getting money knowing that. And unless you know billionaires and people like Christopher Terry, you can't do it. And so Chris is coming up with an application on his phone, just like we know Uber, just like we know Lyft. They call that disruptive technology. We have access, people, to disruptive technology to make billions of dollars, millions of dollars to go in the market and take profit and go buy real estate. There's no reason with all of these people in here right now that all of us should not have title to real property in Detroit. What's his name? Quicken Loans? Dan Gilbert should not be the only person owning up downtown Atlanta. Or downtown Detroit, excuse me. I'm from Atlanta. I apologize, man. But I get sick and tired of seeing this. I'm sick and tired of seeing gentrification tours. And I don't mean to isolate because we all bleed black, bleed blood, bleed red. I get it. We all in the same room. But I get sick and tired of seeing gentrification tours going through the hood. And we looking at what's coming off the bus, buying up our own community. And we can't do nothing about it. What's wrong with y'all? Figure out how to get the money to buy back your own community. Use IML. Use the tools to stay liquid to do that. I'm almost done, man. I'm sorry. I'm going to hit you with this. Y'all want to stop police from killing y'all, shooting y'all in the back five or six times? Get some insurance. Over-insure. Because the next time they put some bullets in your back, they got to pay off 
All right, so that was Dave. <laughs> that was last Monday <laughs> here in Detroit. Dave Anderson and Jill Tankard here in Detroit. So I was in the audience. Uh, pretty interesting time there. So, uh, so we have the conference. We have the Economic Empowerment Conference calls for African Americans every Wednesday, nine p.m. eleven p.m. These are national conference calls. If you want information about this, email me info info with African History Network dot com info info with African History Network dot com. What we deal with are strategies to create wealth, proven strategies to create wealth um, for African Americans, so we can buy back our neighborhoods, buy back property, etc. So, so because what happens is Dave's in Dave's in documentaries, I'm in documentaries. Dave's in um, we're in Black Friday together. Both Black Friday documentaries, and uh, he's the he's the co-producer of Black Friday. He's in uh, Generation One: The Search for Black Wealth. I'm in um, Resurrecting Black Wall Street: The Blueprint from uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins and Your Black World Films. Uh, I'm in the upcoming documentary Elementary Genocide Three. I'm in uh, three documentaries coming out this year that I'm in. Another documentary for Amadeus Christ, who did uh, Out of Darkness. I'm in his uh, documentary on Black Business. So the question is asked, where, where do you, how do you get the capital in this lifetime? How do you get the capital, uh, not in 20 or 30 years, but in, in a number of months or a couple of years or so? How do you get the capital to do what the documentaries say we need to do, to build the institutions, to build the, to, to own the stores, to finance the stores, to buy the homes, to buy the land, to do this. Where do you get the capital from? So this is what we talk about on the conference call. Okay, so it's taking place Wednesdays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stay on as long as you can. Economic Empowerment for African Americans conference call. Dave Anderson, founder of the Empowerment Radio Network, Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network. Email us at info at africanhistorynetwork.com, info at africanhistorynetwork.com, okay, uh, for more information about that. Now, uh, also visit economicempowermentseminars.com, economicempowermentseminar.com, because Dave Anderson will be uh, on, uh, he'll be in Chicago this Friday. I was going to try to be in Chicago with him, but another group has me speaking in Detroit Friday, so I have to do that. Uh, he's going to be in Chicago this Friday. Uh, February 10th, excuse me, February 10th, doing a screening of um, um, Generation 1, okay? And I need to verify this. I'm on the website. It's not there. That should be updated. But he'll be, he has a date in, uh, on February 11th. He's going to be somewhere. I don't know. So check that out. Check, check the website, economicempowermentseminar.com for more information. economicempowermentseminar.com for more information. Visit my website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Information is there about the lecture I'm doing uh, at the Jungle Juice Bar this coming Saturday, February uh, 11th, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. And then also we'll have information up there tonight or in the morning about the, about the webinar I'm doing, national webinar I'm doing uh, this Sunday, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And... Um, 
that's on the topic great African women in history, the mothers of civilization as well. That's a donation of ten dollars because it's a lot of work to put together, put that together. And this, it, um, I'm doing this in conjunction with the Black History School dot com and blackdan dot com also. Okay, so we're sharing the revenue. All right. So last night, um, um, Ari Melber sat in for Lawrence O'Donnell on the last word. And he talked about why Donald Trump lost in court behind the immigration ban, which is a Muslim ban. Okay. Uh, let's go to this clip here. This is very interesting. Let's go to this clip. The political world is on edge, waiting to see if three judges in California will continue blocking President Trump's immigration ban. Tonight, they announce a special hearing tomorrow. But those judges are not deciding the original case blocking the ban. They're overseeing it. This is the man handling the original case, Judge James Robart, a respected Bush appointee unanimously confirmed, who sparked President Trump's irate Twitter attacks this weekend. Now, to understand how we got here, you have to understand what Judge Robart did to make Trump so angry. Forget Twitter, forget much of what passes for debate on TV. Let's go inside the courtroom to learn exactly why Trump lost this round. Let's begin with one of Judge Robart's first questions. Is this a Muslim ban? The judge pressed challengers for more evidence than mere statements made in the heat of the campaign. It seems to me that it's a bit of a reach to say the president is clearly anti-Muslim or anti-Islam based on what he said in New Hampshire in June. The lawyer challenging the ban, Noah Purcell, had an answer. The answer was Rudy. We have the president's advisor saying on national television uh, that, that you know, the president asked him to come up with a Muslim ban. This was after the election. Uh, they asked him to come up with a Muslim ban in a way that would make it legal and that that's what they did. He is referring to this. When he first announced it, he said Muslim ban. He called me up, he said, put a commission together, show me the right way to do it legally. What we did was we focused on, instead of religion, danger. The right. areas of the world that create danger for us, which is a factual basis, not a religious basis. Perfectly legal. That clip is important, the challengers say, because it shows an intent to discriminate, even if the order doesn't use the word Muslim. The lawyer defending the ban, Michelle Bennett, insisted the ban doesn't target Muslims, but she also said it doesn't really matter because President Trump's powers are so broad he can make these decisions without court oversight. That led Judge Robart to this question. Given the breadth of authority of the executive in the area of immigration, do you acknowledge any limitation on his or her power? Your Honor, I don't think Your Honor needs to answer that question to, to, to decide on this case. No, but it um, seemed like a good question. <laughs> the attorney is ducking there, arguing if there are limits on the president's immigration powers, Trump has not reached them. And she said Congress has given huge power to the president in the amended Immigration and Nationality Act. We have the president acting pursuant to, to power that Congress gave him, which is, means under the uh, Youngstown still seizure cases, He's acting at the apex of his power. She's citing a Supreme Court case there on President Truman seizing steel mills. And it is true that Congress passed a law giving the president the power to suspend aliens. But it also prohibited discrimination based on nationality. 
Challengers say that makes the ban illegal since it discriminates against the nationality of seven countries. Which brings us to the worst moment for Donald Trump in that courtroom. You know, sometimes the simple questions are the hardest. Judge Robart took that back and asked whether immigrants from those seven countries have been arrested for terrorism. How many arrests have there been of foreign nationals for those seven countries? Well, that is a tough question because so far, the Trump administration has no good answer, which was evident. Your Honor, I don't have that information. I don't have that information, or maybe the information just hurt Trump's case. Let me tell you, the answer to that is none, as best I can tell. Now, that is huge. The judge is suggesting there that while the president may have the legal power to ban some countries, he still needs a reason. He needs a rationale. He needs facts. I'm also asked to look and determine if the executive order is rationally based. And, and rationally based to me implies that I, to some extent I have to find it grounded in facts as opposed to fiction. That is a federal judge telling the Trump administration alternative facts don't fly in court. That the ban needs some rational link to real threats, not fears or made up attacks. Not that anyone would make up terror attacks. I bet there was very little coverage. I bet, I bet it's brand new information to people that President Obama had a six-month ban on the Iraqi refugee program after two Iraqis came here to this country, were radicalized, and there were the master, masterminds behind the Bowling Green massacre. Well, Most people don't know that because it didn't get covered. That kind of falsehood could hurt Donald Trump in court. Judge Robart said he might block a ban that is irrational, while Trump's lawyer argued the president has the power to be irrational in this key exchange. To some extent, I have to find it grounded in facts as opposed to fiction. Well, Your Honor, we, we actually don't think you, you are supposed to look at whether it's rationally based. I'm not supposed to look at if it's rationally based. You heard that right. The Trump administration's position is basically you got to fight for your right to be irrational. Now, why would they say that? Partly because lawyers make every possible argument and presidents want deference but also for another reason. The DOJ may realize that if the debate is about whether facts support this ban, they could lose. In other words, even if courts find the president has this power and it's not a religious test and it doesn't violate due process, courts could still strike it down, the ban. They could strike it down if it's not based on facts. And the facts are the ban only limits immigration from countries that have never sent attackers while ignoring countries that have sent attackers to the U.S. There have been zero fatal terror attacks carried out by immigrants from the seven nations listed in the order. Zero. Now we have been attacked by individuals from other countries who weren't listed in this order. From Saudi Arabia, from the United Arab Emirates, from Egypt and Lebanon. Those are the kind of facts the judge cited. So after all the recent noise and grandstanding and tweets, after all the chaos and questions and confusion, the current status of the travel ban was not decided by the loudest person in the room or the person with the sharpest insult. It was decided quietly, dispassionately by an independent judge. There's no denying this ruling's power. It's the kind of power that does not need to yell to be heard. The ruling reopening America's doors was heard all over the world. Whether you support or oppose the ban, that is exactly what an independent judiciary 
is supposed to look like. It's a very beautiful thing. Okay, so that was last night. Excellent segment. Breaking it down from a legal perspective. Ari Melber is an attorney, chief legal correspondent for uh, MSNBC. Great segment. All right, this date in African American history, February 7th. In 1791, Benjamin Banneker, who was an inventor, surveyor, mathematician, and astronomer, began to help lay out Washington, D.C. under the supervision of Major Andrew Endicott IV, this date in 1791. This date in 1883, James Hubert Uby, U-E-B-I-E, James Hubert Uby Blake, who was a pianist and composer, was born in Baltimore, Maryland, this date in 1883. This date in 1956, Authorine Juanita Lucy, the first black uh, student at the University of Alabama, was suspended after a riot at the school. This took place this date in 1956. Uh, this date in, okay, just a second here. Okay, this date in uh, 1974, the country of Grenada gained its independence from Great Britain. This date in 1974. This date in uh, 1984, Walter Bergman, Walter Bergman, who was an 84-year-old freedom writer uh, who was beaten by the Ku Klux Klan at an Alabama bus station in 1961, was awarded a judgment of $50,000 by the U.S. District Court on this date in 1984. This date in 1986. This date in 1986, Dr. Shank Anta Jop, some people say Diop is, is pronounced Jop, who was an Egyptologist and author of Civilization or Barbarism, as well as the African Origins of Civilization, Myth or Reality. And uh, uh, he died on this date in 1986. Dr. Shank Anta Jop proved Egyptians were African people, black African and their culture predated and directly influenced Greek and Roman culture. He did the melanin, melanin dosage test in 1978 that proved that the ancient Kemetic people, ancient Egyptians, were black African people, not brown-skinned Caucasians. You can read more facts about this date in African history and African-American history at Yenoba.com, Y-E-N-O-B-A, Yenoba.com. All right. Be sure to share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. We're going to put some clips on YouTube. Uh, we have the uh, podcast of these shows at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, the audio podcast, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. If you like the information we share with you, be sure to you can donate to the African History Network as well. Click on the yellow Donate button right on the homepage of our website. Uh, you can order our DVD lectures as well. We have some more shipping out tomorrow, some more orders shipping out tomorrow. And all of my DVD lectures are there as well. Uh, and email us if you're interested in the uh, conference call, uh, info at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Conference call takes place on Wednesdays, uh, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. with uh, Dave Anderson, founder of the Empowerment Radio Network, and myself. Remember, on the Michael M. Hotep Show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. We brag now. Not black lives just had to die to get a flag down. And my rap has helped the map of Southside Atlanta. Was just a Selma 50 years march in Alabama. Was just a Columbus, Ohio teaching little kids. South by Southwest and Austin teaching sampling. That kind of colleges. I do a lot of interviews. And
And I'm making some nice figures like a Jimmy do And like Sandra Bland, my band be changing lanes Without a signal at all, now you want us to hang? You know some things are substantial, whether we're not financial And playing us with what others stuck way up on the mantle so don't try to adjust your radio to change the channel We're taking down the glittery lights and just light a candle, come on He said, I don't see you at the club I said, I don't see you at the bank People gotta...